Well, this morning, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Acts. We find ourselves <clears throat> finishing up chapter 4 today. You remember, uh, we've been uh, looking for a couple of weeks now at the miracle that happened at the gate, beautiful. And uh, just so we remember where we're at, Peter and John are, are headed to the temple where they would meet corporately with the church. Remember at that time, the church... Uh, is uh, somewhere between 5,000 and whatever women and children would end up being, meeting in the courtyard of the temple, gathering together. And as they're on their way there to pray and, and to gather, they are, are stirred by the Holy Spirit to do something they had never done before, to stop by a man they'd walked by hundreds of times probably. Three years of Jesus' ministry, Jesus had walked by him several times. Because there's only walking through that gate beautiful that they'd have walked through it every time he went to the temple but this time the holy spirit stopped them and as this this man in such desperate need is looking to them thinking that the the solution to his problems is going to be a little bit of cash peter and john say to him that famous phrase right silver and gold have i not but such as I have, I will give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. The Bible says that that man was made whole. That phrase whole means more than just his legs were fixed. More than just his ankle, his feet, whatever the, 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 the problem was that he had that he couldn't walk and why he was lame. But he was made whole, complete. He becomes a new man. And we see the miracle, the physical miracle of, of God healing. And we also see the, the miracle that we can see all the time. And that is a miracle of a new life. A man who at one time stood by the gate, life full of sorrow, thinking this was all he was ever going to have. Now is leaping and praising God as he comes up in through the temple. And as they come up, as you can imagine, there's a group of men that gather around them. They're in the court of the men. And so as the men come around him, they're thinking, this guy, we've seen this guy for years. He'd been lame for 40. So they've been seeing him at that gate at whatever time they started laying him there as a child. They've been seeing him there for their entire lives. Now here he is standing. They know it's the same guy. They see this incredible change in his life and they want to know why. So Peter preaches to them the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He preaches to them the the rejection, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Why, why does he go to that? Because, well, that's what we all experience in salvation, the resurrection, the being raised to new life. We're a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God has a portion for us that we should walk in them. Amen. So the Lord lays that out, and as God is doing this incredible work, and people's hearts are being turned toward the Lord, just then, the cops all show up. The temple police, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're upset because he's preaching the resurrection of the dead. And the Sadducees, you see, they only held to the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was it. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in resurrection. And they got a big problem right now. It's pretty hard if you don't believe in miracles when there's one standing right in front of you. What do you do with that? Well, I suppose you arrest the guys who are talking about it, and you put them in jail until you can figure out what to do. 
And that's what they did. They arrested him. But even as they're arresting him, I want you guys to think about this. Here's Peter and John preaching. No, no altar call happens. No, nobody coming forward. No people clapping. No excitement. All you see is them preaching, being arrested and taken off. And the scripture says, and that day 5,000 were added. They got, they got saved just hearing. Just having their, their hearts open to the truth of who God is. This is. Salvation doesn't require anything from us. What salvation requires <coughs> is the ability to believe. The ability to believe. But Paul would simplify it for us in the book of Romans to say, Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You speak with your mouth and you live with your life. And that's the example of, of believing. These guys believe. They come to faith. There's, there's nobody to talk to. There's nobody to come up because the guys who were just preaching are being drugged to jail. The same pit that they would have put Jesus in the night before his crucifixion. Now think about Peter and John and how crazy their life had been. And there they find themselves in that pit. Well, Scripture tells us that they still weren't very sure what to do. So when they had threatened them, you, you see that phrase, right? We read it, talked about it a little bit last week. When they had threatened them, that, that, that phrase is open interpretation to, uh, and, and most probably did include 39 lashes, a beating, that it included them being facing the same Sanhedrin that put Jesus on the cross. Looking at the same high priest who put Jesus on the cross. Standing before the same Roman authorities who had the right to crucify them. So here they are in this place. And, and it, you got to believe it's a scary place. For you to think that they were there and they had no fear just means you haven't been there before. They had fear. But that didn't stop them. You see... The Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a sound mind, the ability to stand when God calls us to stand. And so that's where we, we see them. We see them gathered there. And, and, and we, we shared last time in, uh, in verse 21, it says, So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. So they let him loose. So they let him loose. And that catches us up to where we are today. So if you join me as we begin in uh, verse 23. It says, And being let go, they went to their own companions, and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. And they said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David has said, Why did the nations rage? And the people plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. To do whatever your hand and your purpose had determined before to be done. 
Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with <coughs> excuse me, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who had were possessors of lands or houses. They sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone has need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we're just so thankful for the conclusion of, of this story and the healing of the man at the gate beautiful and what it wrought in the lives of your people, God. And I just, I pray as we, <coughs> as we come together, Lord, that you would give unto us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would recognize, Lord Jesus, that these words are laid out for us for our benefit God for our exhortation to build us to stir us up and to move us forward God I I hope and pray as we go through this section of scripture we would see that men ought to pray and we give you the praise and the glory for what we've done in this place in Jesus name we pray amen well, it's interesting, as we take a look at this, one of the things that jumps off the page is this, this idea of the, the prayer that comes together and, and really propels everything from that point. And as we look at this, there's a few things that I want to point out. And one of those we see is the reason to pray. They have a reason to pray. What's that reason? What's the, what's the problem? What is the reason? It's the threats. It's the attempts to stop the preaching of the word of God. See, the, the scripture tells us in verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own companions, and they told them everything that had happened. Well, what had happened? They were being threatened, threatened to stop preaching, to never teach in the name of Jesus, to never heal in the name of Jesus. Stop healing those broken people. Stop changing their lives. And so as a result... That was what compelled them to prayer. That was what compelled them to prayer. And if we think our world is all that much different from this one, then we probably need to wake up and smell the coffee. Because our world is growing more and more antagonistic toward Christianity. More and more antagonistic toward the faith. I shared with you last time that where at one time, uh, back where I came from, we used to pray for city council meetings. The time came, 
when they said you could no longer use the name Jesus. I worked pretty closely with the chaplains uh, at the Marine Corps base in 29 Palms. And uh, year in and year out, they were stripping more and more of the opportunity to preach the word of God with power. Wanting to make it more tolerable or palatable for anyone who would listen. And we see the same thing occurring in our world today. There will be a move. There will be a time when they no longer will endure sound doctrine. The Bible teaches that. When men will no longer want to hear the truth of God's word. And as we see that day approaching, I guess my hope, my prayer is that we would be a people that commit, even as these guys committed themselves. We have a window. And if you think the window is going to stay open forever, it won't. We have an opportunity today, a freedom today, to speak the truth of the Word of God. The time will come when that window will close. The time will come when it will be a crime to read from the Scriptures. The time will happen. And the call for us is a call to prayer. It's a call to <clears throat> come before the Lord and ask that He would give us exactly what they're asking for. The attitude of boldness. In Colossians chapter 4, if you guys want to hold your finger there and just flip with me over to Colossians. Uh, the best way to remember it, you get to Galatians. This is how I will always remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Gentiles eat pork chops. <clears throat> or bacon too, as a matter of fact. In Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2, listen to what it says. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word. To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. That I might make manifest as I ought to speak. Paul asking for prayer. The church of Colossae. If you want to really kind of narrow down the church of Colossae. And the book of Colossians is such an incredible book to study. But the area of Colossae. There's another church you may be more familiar with in that same area. It's called Laodicea. The church in the book of Revelation, which was called the lukewarm church, right? In Colossae, Paul is saying, I need your prayers. I need your prayers, and I need you to be earnest in prayer. Not just praying once in a while when you think about it, but that that becomes a part of who we are. It becomes a part of our life. People look at the book of Acts, and they read the book of Acts, and they're enamored with the miracles. And I love the miracles of the book of Acts, too. But please don't lose sight of the fact that they prayed. Try to find a chapter where it doesn't talk about them praying. Where it doesn't talk about them going before the Lord. And as I sit back and as I study and as I prepare, I'm convicted. Because it is possible for a day to get so hectic and busy that it flies by. And at the end of that day, when I close out my day before the Lord, I realize... That I never started it with him. 
The day just got going. You ever had that happen? You get up in the morning and you got your... I, I could tell you how many hundreds of times I've got my day all planned out and how it's going to roll and what's going to happen. And, and there's always a wrench that lands in the middle of that and blows it all up. But I recognize, I realize, and I never met for those marching orders. And, and I'm convicted because the early church and the apostles... That was not who they were. They were those who said, listen, my day is going to start at whatever time. I need to rise up early. I need to get up before all the chaos can happen and spend time with the Lord. I don't care what time you go to work. I don't care what time your day starts. If your day starts at 4 in the morning, then get up at 0 dark 30 and spend time with the Lord. Do what is required so that you can have that time. Because here Paul is saying, continue earnestly in prayer. Continue earnestly in prayer. Jesus said, pray. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. But if we're honest, part of the struggle in our prayer life is that very concept, isn't it? You know, I prayed and I asked God for something and it didn't happen. So I don't really understand the purpose of prayer. God, he's, he's sovereign and all powerful. He's going to do what he's going to do. And it doesn't really matter if I pray. Listen, Jesus specifically in dealing with that issue told a story. Remember, we talked about it. In that story, he told of a woman who would not leave the judge alone. Pestered and pestered and pestered until the judge did what she asked. Now, not that the Lord is calling us to pester him, but here's what he said after that. What he said was, Will the Son of Man find faith in the earth like that when he comes? Will he find his people, even when they're disappointed, even when the answer is not what they wanted to hear, even when God delays his coming, will he find his people in prayer? Will they still pray? That's the challenge that Jesus is is laying out. That we would come before him and pray. That we would stay earnest. (coughs) Earnest in our prayers. And here we have Paul from prison saying, hey, pray for me guys, pray. I would think obviously Paul's doing okay. He must have got thrown into prison for preaching. And listen, it, it never stops. Every day, we need to have the courage God's called us to. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul writes, Finally, brethren, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you, from the evil one. He lays out in 2 Thessalonians and he's praying for protection from the wicked, but then he says, These guys are faithless, but God is faithful. Paul's already been under under the, the, the power, if you will, of these wicked men. They've already gonna have him in prison, they're gonna send him to Rome, he's gonna die, he's gonna be martyred, but yet he says, The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. So he calls his people to pray. And really think about it, guys. What happens if we pray? Yeah, of course he does. God moves. God hears. 
God acts. From the mouth of babes, he has perfected praise. That's what, that is exactly what God does. And that's what he, why he wants this attitude of prayer from us. But I want you to also see, look at what the scripture says. It says, so when they heard, they raised their voice to God with one accord. As soon as they heard, they went immediately to prayer. They didn't call the lawyer. They didn't put up a picket fence or a picket line. They didn't have a march on City Hall. A lot of times, those things are good to do as well. But they didn't do any of that stuff. What did they do? They prayed. They went before the Lord in prayer. We as Christians today think prayer is our our last line of defense. I tried to march on City Hall and I tried to call the paper and I talked to a lawyer. There's nothing left for me to do now but pray. And we got it backwards. You want to see the Lord move, move in power as he did in the book of Acts? God's people got to pray. They got to spend time coming before him. And then I love this phrase in verse 24. It says they raise their voice to God. Listen, this is a corporate meeting. We don't know how many. Probably they're meeting in an upper room. So it's probably not more than 100 people. But they're gathered together in one place. It's not the whole body of the church. But they're together corporately. And they lifted their voice. They all lift their voice. They're all calling on the name of the Lord. They're all in prayer. But I love it because it says not only did they lift their voice to God, but they lift their voice to God with one accord, one passion, one singular sound, many voices, one heart. It's a perfect picture of a, of a choir. As they lift their, their cry to the Lord, as they lift their voice to God, many voices, one sound, one passion, one purpose. They felt the need to pray, and they prayed. And it's important that God's people understand and recognize that. Listen, I struggled with this for a long time. I used to say, why do I need corporate prayer? Why do I need to come together for a prayer meeting? I can pray from my house. I can pray from my car. I can pray from wherever I'm at. I can even go to the, to the golf course and pray. Go fishing and pray. I can pray anywhere. But God's word, over and over again in the book of Acts, we see God's people gathered together corporately in prayer. Not necessarily everybody, like on a Sunday morning when we have everybody here, but they get together. There's a, there's a time when God's people come together. And there's opportunity for that. There's always opportunity. Every week, there's opportunity. There's 168 hours in a week. In those hours, how many of those are, are anointed or touched by an opportunity for us or faithfulness from us to pray, to call upon the name of our Savior, to go before Him in faithfulness and do what God's called us to do. And He's calling us to do it corporately. Listen, we all got stuff to do, don't we? Is that going to change? Hey, next year, you know what? All the guys who are farming are going to farm again. They're going to plant again. They're going to have to water again. 
The, the crop's going to come in. There's things you're going to have to take care of. Life happens. Guys who have jobs in, in other areas or in other fields, they're going to get up every day and they're going to do the times that they got to go to work. And they're going to go to serve and all that. None of that is going to change. But your need for prayer is also not going to change. And if you neglect it, if you neglect it, I promise you, nothing in your life is going to change. The desire to see the power of God moving and working through you. The desire to see the hand of God actually accomplishing things in your life. It's, it won't change. It won't change because we find ourselves in a place of faithlessness instead of faithfulness. Being faithful to ask. Being faithful to pray. God's people ought always to pray. This is what Jesus said. Ought always to pray and not lose heart. Always. Always. But then as we, as we look at this time of prayer that they have, not only do they recognize the time of prayer, not only do they come together corporately, but then we see that they, in the beginning of their prayer, they're recognizing the authority of God. Now I want you to think about this when you pray. When we pray, when we come before the Lord, do we recognize His authority in this way? As we take a look here in, in the second part of verse 24, it says, As they began with one accord, they said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And the word they use for Lord is different than the normal word that they use for Lord. This is the word despotas. Despotas, the same word we get despot. Well, despot usually has the negative connotation. But in Greek, what it means is ultimate authority. So when they are looking and calling on the name of, of the Lord, they are, they are acknowledging that He is the ultimate authority. That He has all authority under heaven and under earth. Complete and utter authority. Now why is that important? Listen. Think about Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Think about what Paul wrote there. It says, Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. Well, sometimes part of our problem with authority is we don't like it. We don't mind having it ourselves. We get to decide what happens. It's a whole different matter when it's when it's somebody outside, untangible, someone we can't <coughs> see their face or their eyes or understand necessarily what they're going to do so we come before God and we acknowledge his authority and that he has the power to move and we have to deal then at that moment with the frustration he has the power to move and the power to heal and the power to change and sometimes he doesn't do it the way we'd like sometimes the healing that God brings is the healing and bringing someone home to heaven now one day when we get there we're not going to have a problem with this anymore Right now we're sorry and we're sad because we miss the one whom we love and we wish God had done a miracle and, and changed things. But that's only because in our 
understanding. We don't understand the beauty of where they are right now. We don't understand the majesty of what they have right now. All we understand is how it affects me. And that makes me selfish or self-centered. I have become the center of my focus, not Christ. When the Lord brings someone home, when He says no when we ask for a healing, or when He brings the ultimate healing and says, I brought them home with me, they're with me, good. No more tear, no sorrow, no pain, nothing. They're good. Everything's good. I took good care of them. They're with me. We have to learn to rejoice in God's authority to do that. And that, folks, that's where rubber meets the road. That is, uh, that's, you want to know where you're at in your faithfulness with God? Then it, the, the, the measure, the litmus test of that is what do you do when you're disappointed with Him? When He doesn't do what you wanted Him to do. Or He doesn't move <coughs> the way you want Him to move. Or, or you don't get the job. Or, or the deal falls through. Or whatever the thing is. That's the test. Because God is not our giant Santa Claus in heaven just to give us our desires. He is Almighty God, in all authority, having all power, able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. He is God, and He knows what He's doing. And the question to us is, will we trust Him? And when we pray, will we believe that God will answer. Because once we've been disappointed, now we start trying to make excuses for God. And we're afraid to ask for a healing, because what if God says no? So we'll throw in that little catchphrase that helps us when we say, if it's your will. If it's your will, Lord. If it's your will. In a minute we're going to talk about we should always be praying according to God's will. Especially the will that's revealed in the Word of God. But when we pray, do we believe God's going to move? Do you believe that God's going to answer? Do you believe that God does miracles today? Well, let me help you out. If you don't believe God does miracles today, you have a problem with me. Yeah, because in 1987, I was diagnosed HIV positive. And today, I don't have HIV. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with the letter? I still have it. From the Marine Corps saying, You are positive. You're a knucklehead and a loser and we're going to kick you out. Something to that effect. And then I have the other letter. You know, as of this date, we don't know how to explain it, but it's gone. What do you do with that? Well, usually what we do with it is we say, Oh, they made a mistake, obviously. They made a mistake for a year and a half. And they kept making mistakes for a year and a half. And they kept sending me places to do tests and, and, and receive all the different treatments that they wanted because <coughs> it was just a big mistake. They must have spilled some blood in the box. You know, they take everybody's blood together and it's in one big box, right? And they take that big box and they tested it and somebody who had it, they must have spilled it and got it on everybody else's. Well, then there would have been a whole other problem, wouldn't there? Because everybody whose name was in that box was with me on a ship. 
Every one of them. And I'm the only one who got called. God still does miracles today. You don't think God heals marriages? Then how come I'm still married? 26 years. Because that was at about year five. Four, three, something like that. Good thing Kathy's not here. <coughs> that was early. How's that? That was early, and I did everything humanly possible to destroy my marriage. And the only reason I have a marriage today is because I have a wife who prayed. Not because some preacher gave an amazing message and turned me around. It's not because of anything else. Jackie finally ran up. You know, all those things scared him and he changed. Listen, I never changed. I was the same dirtbag I was in the beginning all the way through. Until victory came, until God got a hold of my heart. And the only reason God got a hold of my heart is because my wife prayed. And she believed that God would do something. And she prayed according to his will because she knew God wanted more for my life than what it was amounting to at that moment. So what happens when God's people pray? Miracles happen. Don't you know that? Miracles have changed lives, healed marriages, healing physically, healing spiritually. That's what happens when when God's people pray. But I've shared with you, if you've heard my testimony before, right after I got home, I was going to Calvary Chapel in Redlands, and there was two little kids, eight-year-old twins, that were hemophiliacs, and they had contracted HIV. And so I was all excited, actually, when I heard that they were going to have a prayer vigil for them, because I was so stoked to say, man, look, God healed me. He can heal them too. God can take it all away. He's exceedingly abundantly able to do all things. So we come together in a prayer vigil and we prayed. And I prayed with absolute and total and complete faith because he healed me of the same thing. And I deserved what I had. And after we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, God took them boys home. And I'm okay with it today. The day it happened, I wasn't okay. I had a hard time reconciling the two. Take me. I mean, you had no business healing and working in my life. I, I deserved all of that stuff. These are just kids. They didn't do nothing. Just through a random set of events. I can't even believe the words I said. Random set of events? Really? God has all authority. He had all authority in those kids' lives. And it wasn't to hurt them or to pain them or to cause the family grief. It was to get them home safe and that's what God did he got them home safe and today I praise God for it and I believe 
God still heals. God still touches. We have a, a, a member in our midst. I was just, we were just praying for it. We're still praying for it. We're still reaching out that God would touch and heal thee. That he would take away pancreatic cancer because nobody else can. There's no other hope, no other doctor, no other thing. And I'm going to pray for D from now till that happens or God takes her home. And if God takes her home, I'm going to be okay because he has the authority and I trust him. But I am not going to pray some weak prayer without faith that God can't do it. I'm not going to make excuses because of the pains and the hurts that I've felt in my life. I'm going to do what God's word asked me to do. And I'm going to pray in faith, believing. And I'm going to ask God to do his perfect work in her life. But more than that, I'm also going to do exactly what these guys did. I'm going to do exactly what they did. Listen, not only did they recognize his authority. They prayed according to God's revealed plan in his word. Look at the next phrase. It said... He goes on to say, who by the mouth of your servant David said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things and the kings of the earth, they took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Why do the nations rage? The Goyim. Here he is lumped together. Herod. Pontius, the Jewish people, and the Gentiles, all in that phrase. The explanation that is given in the prayer, this is Psalm chapter 2, is talking about Jesus Christ. And what's it say in verse 28? To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Jesus was born to go to the cross. There was no other path, no other road, no other place. And it was God's plan from the foundation of the world. And it was according to the scriptures. <coughs> so as they're praying for the will of God to be used in their life, as these things are going on, they're saying, listen, we're, playing, we're praying according to the revealed plan of God in His word. 1 John chapter 5 verse 14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. If we ask anything according to His will. I told you my, my wife prayed for me. My wife prayed for her sister that she would be saved. Maybe you're praying. Maybe you're praying for someone in their life. God hears you. God hears you. Don't stop. Keep praying. Well, nothing changes. You know how easy it is to quit? It is so easy to quit. I can quit anything any given day. I don't even have to try. Just quit. Any dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live one to swim up it. Don't quit. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Don't quit. You keep praying. You keep calling on His name. You keep reaching out for Him. 
You keep asking that God would move. But then I want you to look at the request in verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Do you notice what they didn't ask for? Sometimes we miss that. Sometimes I love what's not there as much as what is. They didn't ask for the removal of threats. They didn't ask that God would take away the the problem. They didn't ask that God would take it away. What did they ask for? The strength that they needed to overcome. To overcome the threats. To overcome the fear. To overcome the struggles in their life. So they come before the Lord. Does it mean it's it's wrong to pray that, that God would remove those things? No, but what I'm saying is their focus, guys, their focus was not self their focus was Christ. What's central in your prayer life? What's central in our prayer life? Is what's central in our prayer life the glory of God? Because if, if God's glory is central, then those other things don't disappoint anymore because we can rightly assume that it's for God's glory and our good. Isn't that what the Word of God t- tells us? You want to know the revealed Will of God, for we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All in the Greek means all, and that's all that all means. So for a believer whose life is given to the Lord, submitted to Him, the Lord promises that everything in your life will work out for good in your life and glory in His. That's not most things. That's everything. That's the revealed will of God. But we have to keep God central. It's so hard because our hearts are breaking, aren't they, for the people we love? Our hearts are breaking for the stuff going on. I remember something that Kathy told me in the midst of all that chaos in our life, which actually seems like a totally different life. When she was praying for me and I was doing all the possible wrong things, any human being could possibly do. She prayed and she prayed this prayer. Lord, do whatever you have to do to turn Jackie around. Give me a new husband or a new Jackie. And she still says today, God did both. Uh, I, she didn't deserve any of the stuff I ever done. And I don't deserve to have had the right for God to turned my life around but he did it he did it she prayed and she prayed whatever you got to do and later on when we were going back and forth to the hospital when I was diagnosed with HIV she was seven months pregnant with our first son we have three no none of them have HIV I told you I was healed it's gone She was seven months pregnant. And so whatever happened, what God was doing in me, it happened to her too. She had to to worry. The day I came home and sat on the couch and said, Hey, they took me off the float. I'm HIV positive. It affected her too. But God who was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine, was working. (coughs) Now I can tell you, 20 some years later, all those things 
were for our good. But if you'd have been there, sitting on that couch with me, you'd have said, this cannot possibly be. One single solitary good thing cannot come from this. Because that's what I thought. I'm going to die. And I have just condemned my wife and unborn child to the same fate. But God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine, was not in my thinking at the time. And when we despair, he's not in ours either. Anybody plus God equals a majority. Do you know that? And it has the power to radically change and transform every life. Any life. He is able to do it. Well, they, they came before and they asked for strength to overcome. Strength to overcome. That's all me and Kathy could do. Then we hit that point. All we could do was say, God help us to get through tomorrow. Because I can't even think about a year from now. Or more. So get us through tomorrow. Give us the strength we need tomorrow so that we can overcome. So that we can deal with the life that is, that is laid out before us. In Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 it says, And they overcame him, the enemy, how? By the blood of the Lamb, <coughs> by the word of the testimony, and they did not love their life to the death. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. By the word of the testimony. That's what Jesus Christ has done in your life. And they did not love their lives. They were not central. If I'm central, everything changes. It becomes about me. It becomes about how it affects me. It becomes about the struggles that I have. It becomes very self-centered. Overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. First John chapter 5 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Listen, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you are an overcomer today. You have the ability to overcome the obstacles, the challenges, the hardships, the pain in your life. You are an overcomer. You don't have to pray to be an overcomer. You already are an overcomer. You are. Romans chapter 8 verse 35 says, Well, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Because things are hard. Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword? As it is written, listen to this, for your sake we are killed all day long. Nobody put that up on their refrigerator, did you? Your little pocket promise of Jesus' promises. Nobody put up, we are accounted as sheep to the slaughter, did they? For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But don't stop there. What's it say? Yet in all these things. All? Yeah, all. Everything. In everything, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
We are, not we will be more than conquerors. Do you hear me? We are more than conquerors. We are overcomers because we have the power of the Holy Spirit and the change that Jesus Christ does in our life now. So we are able to come above all those things, all those hurts. But the very next phrase back in Acts chapter 4 that he says, that you would grant boldness that we might speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. What we don't understand in that, in that phrasing in English is he's talking about healing the guys who just beat him. He's talking about making them whole, changing them spiritually, seeing God move in their life, and being able to be faithful and to share the word of God, even though they don't want to hear it, and even though they, they, they want to uh, attack them or hurt them. So he's saying, heal them, Lord. Work miracles in their life, Lord. Change their world. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you. That's the heart of Jesus. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Men ought always to pray. They're praying for boldness, by the way. The boldness that we see in the pages of Scripture, they pray for boldness. Sometimes we think that means obnoxious. So, it's not the word obnoxious in the Greek, by the way. It's the word to speak free. You might say freedom of speech today. If you were in a Roman court, they would grant you this phrase that's used for boldness when they were telling you it's okay for you to speak now. He's saying, give us freedom to share. Give us freedom to speak. Give me the strength I need to stand up and say what I need to say. Not, not an attitude of obnoxious. Not an attitude that's, that's in any way like that. But rather to be able to speak forth the word of God. This phrase also plainly. So that people can understand what I'm trying to say. You ever been frustrated by trying to get across how you're feeling with someone. And they just can't get it. Why, why is every wife nodding right now? <laughs> Trying to get across how we feel, what's going on, but we, we can't quite get it across. Well, this word for boldness is that attitude that says, I'm able, I'm able to speak the word plainly, freedom. I'm not afraid. I'm able to stand. That was their prayer. But look, we see the result of the prayer now as the scripture goes on. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were one heart and one soul. I love that phrase. (coughs) I love that phrase. Listen, here's what happened when they prayed. The place was shaken. God's presence, he was there, he was stoked for what they were asking for. And he shook that place with his presence. The second thing we see is the people were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled and they didn't ask for it. Oh my goodness. Often get asked those questions. How will I be filled with the Spirit? And I always say, well, just pray and ask and God will give it to you. These people didn't even ask. They just prayed and God did it. He filled them. They were faithful to pray. Because this is normal Christian living to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is abnormal to not be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
It is an abnormal experience in the Christian life to not be filled with the Holy Spirit. Normal is having the power of the Holy Spirit moving and working in us. The third thing that happened, their preaching was bold. They spoke plainly the word of God. They had the freedom to speak. And in verse 32, he tells us the next one. The next one, all their possessions were shared. I want you to hear this. They had one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say any of the things he possessed was his own. Do you know what that church did at that moment? They erased a word out of their vocabulary. Mine. That's mine. Don't touch that. That's mine. You know that Disney movie, which one is it? Finding Nemo, where them stupid birds run around going, Mine, 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 mine. I think sometimes we must sound like that to the Lord. They erased it. They erased it. They, they, they wiped out, abolished selfishness. They stopped thinking about things as their possessions and saw everything as his. Not mine, his. The idea that they had all things in common. That's the idea that they, that they said, listen, it's all God's. It's all God's so we can utilize it. We can use it all to bring glory and honor to Him. Communism says it all belongs to the state. Capitalism says it's all mine. Christianity says it's all His. It's His. It's His. The next thing we see, the scripture says in verse 33, with great power... The apostles gave witness. The next thing that happened, they had great power. Why? What was the great power they had? Listen, don't miss it. They had great power. The apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And what's the next phrase? And great grace was upon them all. That means God gave them what they didn't deserve. Their great power was great grace. They had great grace. They prayed and they had great power. The next scripture tells us, the next thing that happened is they had everything that they needed. In verse 34, nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all, <coughs> who were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. They erased the word mine and they erased the word needy. Because they prayed. Because they prayed. And God filled them and God moved in their life. We read the book of Acts and, we, and please, I, I, I'm excited about all the miracles and I'm excited about God, seeing the Spirit of God move. But I would love more to see God's people pray. I, I, I had an opportunity to, to go do a share this last week. And <clears throat> I'm going to close here in a second, but don't panic. But I... I, I I had got to do a share -a When I did the share -a uh two days, I'm up at, at 3 in the morning. It started at 4 in the morning, and we're sharing on the radio, and we're talking to people. But ultimately, what came through that whole share -a is a call to God's people to say, Look, we have a, a financial need of $60,000, but I would rather you fill that need with 60,000 people who commit to pray for the ministry Every day. And I, I still feel that way. I would rather have 
I would rather you didn't put a nickel in the offering and you just committed to pray for us. Because my God is able to meet all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. But if God's people would pray, what changes? What's different in our world? If everyone had the same commitment we see in Acts chapter 4 in their prayer life, what if we had that? What if that was who we were? What if that was our attitude that everything I have is God's? What if this was our attitude and I wanted to go before the Lord and I had faith to go before Him, faith to ask, and, and wasn't dis- destroyed or distorted because of, of God's answer. I just continued to ask, continued to go before Him. What changes? What changes in our world? In Philippians chapter 4, <coughs> Paul writes, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that you sent, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need, according to His riches in Christ Jesus. You know where Paul wrote that from, right? Chained up in prison. That's where he wrote that from. Because our circumstances have no bearing on the life that is within us. You can't chain up Jesus. You can't put him in a cage. You can't stop him. You can't quiet him. You can't make him go away. Acts chapter 4 and the healing of the man at the gate beautiful culminates in God's people going before the Lord in prayer. And everything changed. Somebody said, yeah, they lost everything. I don't think so. They gave up all their junk. A few years later, this church is having to have special offerings because they're so poor. They, They can't hardly feed themselves. All the money's gone, all the stuff people sold. They don't have anything anymore. Everywhere Paul goes, he asks for an offering for the poor in Jerusalem. But you see, after the, the, the Bible was, was finished, there's a story of history that you don't have in those pages. The story in history is when a fellow named Titus Vespasian came against Jerusalem, and he put a chokehold on the city to wipe out everyone within the city. He set up such a horrible siege, it was a nightmare. You ever wonder why when, when Nazi Germany was coming, why so many Jews stayed Why they didn't leave at the first sign of trouble? They kept thinking it was going to get better. It wouldn't wouldn't keep getting worse. But you know why else they stayed? Well, I got a house. I got a business. I got stuff. When Titus Vespasian came on Jerusalem and he put his chokehold on the city, there was a group of people that left because they didn't have anything. Their land was gone, their houses were gone, their businesses were gone. You might say they lost it all. I would say they won it all. They left free. Because God, when they were praying and praying and praying, God, give me back my business, give me back my house, give me back my stuff, God said no. And by so doing, he saved their life. 
Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Amen? Just you stand with me? Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, Lord God, <coughs> wish, I wish, Lord, you would take this cough away. <laughs> God, I just ask that you would help us. God, we, want, we, your people, we want to be people of prayer. Lord, we do. We want to be. We want to, to live a life that is that sweet-smelling aroma to you, a, a, a life where... I am not the center of it. But you are. But it's hard, God. It's hard. The pain in our heart is real. The the frustration we feel, it's, it's a difficult thing to struggle against. But God, you call us. You call us in your word. You say, you change your mind and I'll change your heart. So let the mind of Christ be in you. Let the mind of Christ be in you. And pray without ceasing. Lord, we want to pray. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our fellowship. We need to pray for our sick. We need to pray for those who are struggling. We need to pray for those who are hurting. There's no shortage. God, I can't believe must be a hundred prayer requests that come across my desk in a, in a given week. Lord, we need to pray. There's so many things going on. So much stuff happening. There's always somebody being... Be struggling with an illness or going to the hospital or family going through a hard time or an unexpected death. We need to be a people of prayer. Corporately and individually. So help us commit, Lord. Help us commit. We can say right now, I'm going to be a man (coughs) or a woman of prayer. And as a wise man once said, the, the easy part is over. Help us do it, Lord. God, it's our prayer in this place today that you make us men and women of prayer. Men of women who call on your name. Men and women who seek your face. Men and women who live their life naturally filled with the Holy Spirit because they're people of prayer. Because we see you. Because we talk to you. Because we don't go and try to do anything apart from having prayed for it first. Make us a people of prayer. So that we can make you central in our life. And so that we can glorify you with our life. Because we don't love it to the death. Because we love you. Because you are central. Because you have saved. Because you have moved, Lord. Make us people of prayer. God, we ask that you would do a perfect work in our hearts and minds. As we seek, honestly, Lord Jesus, your, your power moving in our life. You moving through us. You making us who you want us to be. Father, you being glorified and magnified. For you are the main thing. We just want to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.